All righty, welcome to another Behind the Seams Prospects Corner. Uh, we have another incredible episode here today. As always, I am Jared Perkins, but I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, Jake Wiener of Prospects 1500. Uh, Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Jared. Yeah, really excited to have you on, uh, talk a little bit about the Tampa Bay Rays system. Uh, later on, we'll have an interview coming up with Colby White, uh, top 30 prospect in the Rays uh, system right now. Uh, but Jake, just for uh, the viewers here, we want to really dive into these these systems for each team. So uh, what's the overall status of the Rays farm system currently? As we know, they've been one of the best, and it still seems like they are one of the best. Absolutely. So it almost seems like a legacy at this point that they're considered one of the top farm systems you know, in baseball, I consider thinking about in the beginning of this season, our prospects 1500 team, we did a ranking of the farm systems and the race came in sixth, you know, often when they had Wander Franco and such, they were generally considered the top premier farm system in the league. But I, I think it is, you know, generally higher than most just due to the success of several prospects and, you know, probably considered one of the top development systems in the sport as well. So although they had lost an Uber prospect like Wander Franco, Somebody like Junior Caminero is now at the top of the system and considered by many to be a top 10, maybe even top five overall prospect. Yeah, it's it's wild to me that they constantly have someone like that. Like you said, Wander graduate and then Junior Caminero comes up and just takes the board. And then you had Kyle Manzarno, who was getting into like the top 25, was getting a lot of comparisons to Vinny Pasquantino. Yeah, it's big time an, slugger. Yeah, it's just an impressive system overall. I mean, I... The one thing I always love about the Rays is they constantly have the next guy in line, right? You saw this year, Taj Bradley came up, made his debut, Absolutely. and they all, always seem to have like pitching prospects kind of waiting in the wings. But I think this year, the one thing that stuck out to me is there isn't as many arms as there usually is, are in the top 30. Uh, what, what is your uh, take on the pitching for the prospects for the Rays? Yeah, so actually, as you noted, it, it's not as deep as I would say as it has been in the past. Yeah. Like, higher level pitching prospects, however... The Rays organization has definitely been known to make the most of the talents, and they seem to draft guys that, you know, other teams know if the Rays are keen on them, that there may be something special. So whether it's an arm slot, a certain pitch that they see, you know, and that's actually something that they addressed in the draft. Um, most of their early picks were hitters. However, 14 of their last 16 picks were pitchers. Wow. So that kind of goes to the fact where they feel like they can, you know, make the most of any sort of arm talent. Yeah, I, I I think it's just impressive. They kind of know what their needs are, right? And they go in there and they just kind of they replace it and they fill it the gaps that they know that they have. And the, not every team does that. I mean, Absolutely. I, being, being a Royals fan, the one thing I notice is that there's gaps constantly. And then sometimes they just go against the grain in terms of the draft. Like they did a little bit this year as well. Right. Um, just speaking of the, the MLB draft, what was your take kind of on the Rays um, draft this year? They, they, I was looking through their draft board just before this podcast, and there's some great names in there. Um, but are there a couple of guys that are really sticking out to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this draft just seems like classic Rays work. I think mm -hmm. they got a lot of talent, especially with the picks that they had gotten. So I, I definitely think with the early picks, they prioritized bats. Three of their first four picks are four-year juniors. So I think that their front office realizes that they're within a window of contention to draft established collegiate talents. And that's exactly what they did with the 19th overall pick when they picked Braden Taylor, who I think is very talented, polished collegiate hitter, well-rounded game. And, uh, you know, most mocks projected him gone by that point. I think he's a terrific FYPD value as well. Yeah. The one guy that stuck out to me that I think got a little bit overlooked um, at LSU just because of Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, but Trey Morgan, I think that guy is gold glove first baseman. Absolutely. I mean, he's super talented. 
the power is kind of questionable, but I mean, if he can just tap into just maybe even 20, 15, 20 home runs, I mean, that kid's going to be a talent. Very strong contact rates with Morgan as well. So again, if he can tap into some of that power that makes him a more well-rounded prospect, you know, he may not have the general power profile of a first baseman, but as you had mentioned, gold go caliber, if he can wield the stick, that could be his carrying tool as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple guys I want to touch on to kind of circling back to the, the race top 30. Uh, the first is Carson Williams. I've seen a lot of hype around him as a prospect. I know there's some concerns with the strikeout rate, but, uh, I want to get your thoughts on Carson Williams and what kind of player he might be. I mean, I, it seems like the tools are just, uh, ungodly. The exit velos are insane. Oh, yeah. I mean, just talk, talk a little bit more about Carson Williams. Yeah, absolutely. So when he was drafted, you know, that that's a high end prep shortstop with the Reyes. Kind of just seemed like a perfect match, and he's really been matching. So this year he's got 13 homers and 11 steals across 67 games and a 502 slugging. So as you had mentioned, just oozing talent, tons of tools. And while the striker rate has been a bit inflated, there are certain things you have to give and take with the prospect. So if you can hone in on fixing that one thing where he's he's been so successful in other areas, I think that you know will definitely vault his stock. And in my updated midseason rankings, I actually have Carson Williams too in the system. So. Who do you got behind Carson? You don't have to reveal it all. I know it's coming. No, out. no, of course. It's actually coming out in like a, in like a day or so. So I'd be more than happy to just to provide a bit more additional information. But uh, the top three would be Camonero, Williams, and I do have Manzardo at third. That makes sense. Yeah. And so out of the top 30 prospects, who do you think is going to be the most likely to get called up? Is there anybody that you're seeing going to get called up this year like Manzardo? Or do you think most of those guys are going to be waiting until 2024? So in terms of top 30 prospects, I do think there's a couple of them to definitely keep an eye out for. Uh, one of which who I do have just outside of my top 10, but probably still higher than most people would be Austin Chen. He was just promoted to AAA and has kind of been filling in for common Zardo in that first base role, even though he generally plays third base. Uh, the dude mashes high average OBP, had a bit of a down year last year, but he's really put that in the rear view in there. A, player, uh, a pitcher in the top 30 that I think could definitely debut soon. Uh, would be Jacob Lopez. He is 25 and he's been pitching really well in AAA. So as you had mentioned, like with Taj Bradley, how they're very uh, familiar with that next man up. I think that Jacob Lopez could fill a bullpen or even a, a rotation spot for this race team. Yeah, I, Jacob Lopez was going to be the one of the other guys I touched on during the under the radar segment. I mean, mm -hmm. the numbers are insane. And that's the one thing about the Rays too, right? They may not always have that top tier pitching prospect but they just get these late round guys in the draft it seems exactly just via trade like you said and they just kind of come out of nowhere and explode and i think jacob lopez is one of those guys um are there any other arms like him that you're seeing kind of in the system that might be popping up like him so arms that are popping up like him i would definitely keep an eye on nick bitsko he did have a slow mm -hmm. start to his career but you know very analytically advanced uh kevin kelly who's actually in the, the league now uh, you know, I do have him a little bit lower down the list, but he's starting to make waves, and I think that's somebody to keep an eye out as well. Uh, Cole Wilcox is a pitcher I'm always very high on. I know uh, he had a bit of a rough outing his last time out, but before that, through his last four starts, he's really starting to dial in, and I think that's somebody that's supremely talented and could be in the upper echelon of pitching prospects once he really gets settled in. Yeah, I really love Cole Wilcox. I liked him coming out of the draft, too. Me, too. Um, out of oh, Georgia. Yeah. Great arm. Cool um the one guy I do want to touch on just kind of before we go into some under the radars um, is Evan Reifert. I know he's been injured. Do you know any status update on kind of where Evan Reifert stands? I, he came out of the Arizona Fall League just looking incredible. Um, he was yeah. a part of the Mike Bros Broso trade. I don't know how to say his last name, but um, 
yeah, just an incredible arm and don't know if you have any updates on him. So I don't have any updates in terms of his current status, but as you mentioned, very talented arm uh, coming out of the bullpen. It posted really high strikeout rates. So I think that's an arm in particular, especially when you look at the analytics and the numbers that the Rays, the organization in general, can make the most of. So definitely hoping for a speedy recovery. As you mentioned, he was really dealing in the fall league. And I think once he recovers, he can get back on that foot. Again, it could be a player that's fast-tracked to the pros. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example of the trades that you talked about, right? They took a depth piece, basically, in Mike Broso, and they traded him for Evan Reifert. And Reifert all of a sudden becomes Arizona Fall League reliever of the year. He's pitcher of the week down there. He's one of the rising stars in the All-Star yeah. game. Like, That's just a small trade, right? That's not even a big major one to get a major prospect. They just went and plucked a guy who was, I think, an un- our 30th rounder in 2018, didn't even sign. Um, coming out of college or didn't get, even get drafted coming out of college was an undrafted free agent uh the, it's just insane to see that kind of stuff happen all the time with the Rays. <laughs> uh, absolutely and then you know even with a player we had previously mentioned junior Camonero, he was acquired yeah. from the indians or the guardians uh, should i say for, for tobias myers who was six months later traded to the giants for cash considerations so i mean this is somebody we're talking about as a potential top five prospect and just the foresight to acquire him was pretty, pretty special by the Rays. Yeah, I, I think about the Royals and the last time or one of the last times they traded the Rays was the James Shields deal. I'm like, they did well in that one. I don't know if I ever want to see them trade with the Rays again. Not the way it's a tricky working. proposition. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Jake, uh, we can't thank you enough for joining us uh, to give a little bit of overview of the Rays system. It's awesome to just dive into the prospects. Um, but for people, though, where can they find your work and be able to find everything that you're doing? Absolutely. So I appreciate you having me on. I do most of my work, raise coverage for Prospects 1500. You can find me on Twitter at Gator Sosa. And that's generally where most of my content is shared. That's awesome. Everybody make sure to take out Jake's work, all the awesome work that everybody does at Prospects 1500. Got all top 50 lists for every single team there. So just make sure to all check those out. Um, but without further ado, we really want to get you to that interview with Colby White. All right, we are here with another incredible interview for Behind the Scenes by Just Baseball. We have Colby White, a right-handed pitcher with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Colby, how are you doing today? Man, I'm great. Uh, It's a pretty day down here in Florida, so uh, getting healthy. Can't complain. Thank you all for having me on. Yeah, we're we're really excited to have you on. And the one thing you talked about and touched on, getting healthy, that's what we really wanted to talk about. Um, Some behind the scenes, we really focus on those stories outside of baseball that are – players have to go through on an everyday basis as an individual human being. And you, you have to go through this injury recovery process, right? You were on a quick path to the big leagues. Like you had it a ball, double a triple a uh, all in a row. And that um, credible rise during the 2021 season, but kind of take us into uh, the moment you found out you had to get Tommy John surgery and kind of what that impact was like on you and how you've really powered through this uh, injury recovery process. Oh, so it kind of takes me back to the end of 2021. Uh, I noticed my arm didn't feel as fresh. You know, it was my first full season. Yeah. It didn't feel as fresh. I was fatigued. And I had a bunch of uh, teammates who say, man, it's just that time of year. They call it the dog days, so to speak. Uh, nobody feels good around September. Um, I, I, well, I say nobody. Uh, the average person. And, I, you know, so, um, so I kept just throwing through it and all. Obviously, I don't know that there was a bad – structural damage happening in 21 but i know when i ramped back up for spring training in 2020 um i don't know if i tried to ramp up too quick 
because uh, we had the lockout. Uh, yeah. So it kind of pushed spring training back a little bit. And I was getting a few innings in big league spring training. Um, I don't. I, I still to this day don't know really the definitive thing that caused it. Um, but I, I remember I, I threw for like a two or three week spell in spring in spring training, and I just didn't feel great. You know, yeah. it wasn't like I was like, okay, there's definitely something wrong. Um, my velo was down a little bit, uh, but I was still throwing pretty good in the first couple outings. And uh, I remember right before we went to break spring training, break camp, uh, I went in and told the the one of the pitching coaches, can't remember exactly who it was. I was like, man, I, I'm going to need a few days. You know, go to fill it, whatever. I'm going to need a few days off. I'm not feeling great. And then they said, he said, well, go talk to the trainers and, you know, let them do whatever kind of work on you they need to help you get ready. So I went in there and told them, I was like, man, I'm having some elbow stuff going on. Probably going to need a few days. So they just went through some Tommy John tests. And uh, I remember the trainer uh, laid my, my left arm back and it kind of gave – you know, push back into him. Some gave some resistance. Then he done it to my right one, and uh, it it really didn't it didn't give back into him. It just kept going. There was no there was no support there. And he was like, "Man, you might need to get an MRI." And I was kind of in denial because I was like, "You know, you yeah. hear, hear stories of guys. It's like, oh, you feel a pop or whatever." I never felt a pop, which was very weird to me. But then I had a different um, a different form of Tommy John, so to speak. Uh, I had an avulsion, uh, mm. which he well had. Uh, Yanni Torinos, um, Jared Parker for the A's, he had had that. Um, so I actually broke the epicondyle bone that the UCL was connected to. And um, it was floating around in the back of my arm. And apparently I had thrown for several weeks without it not even connected. Um, and when I saw the x-ray, he, the, the doctor, uh, Dr. Eaton in, in Tampa, he said, as you can see in the x-ray, you at least have a bone spur or a bone chip. He said, but I'm willing to bet this is part of your epicondyle. And uh, so we went in there and we and he showed me the MRI and he was like, yeah, your UCL is connected to this bone floating around. You're, you're going to need surgery. And and this is what was a crazy thing about it. I, I It didn't really hit me initially like, hey, I'm going to miss a year and how much time was going to be into it. But I was just so exhausted from my arm being being in pain, you know. So yeah. I was like, I'm just kind of thankful that, that we figured out what it was and um road to recovery and uh i'm thankful that this is gonna sound crazy too i mean there's been bumps in the road in it so far but i'm thankful it happened I've yeah a ton yeah talk, talk about that mindset about kind of being thankful it happened um what are kind of some of the lessons that you learned going through the injury recovery process maybe it's like taking care of yourself a little bit better or like kind of having that notice that like oh things can happen in the game where your career can kind of get derailed and kind of really opening up your mind to um, what the potential is out there. Right. Well, see, I had always, uh, all through college, all through high school, probably even little league, I I would rather hurt and pitch mm-hmm. than not pitch. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a thing to where um, I, I took pride in college or in pro ball until I got hurt of saying, hey, I'm sore, but I can cowboy up and get it done. You know, I'm available, you know, I'm going to be close to my best, even sore, even some fatigue, whatever, and I'm going to help the team, you know. Um, And then it kind of, after having surgery and learning good habits and learning things to look for, things to not throw through, because I feel like, and not saying this toward a old coach or a old uh, trainer or whatever, but as a whole, I feel like the whole college baseball system and high school system there's not enough knowledge on what should be hurting or sore and what shouldn't, you know, um, everybody knows in this area, 
that's where the UCL is. Yeah. Um, but far as like forearm tightness and stuff like that, you know, I, I feel like now I know more what to look for, you know, after Tom having numerous conversations with trainers that have rehabbed uh, Tommy Johns. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, just kind of understanding what should be sore, what shouldn't. And then also biggest thing I've taken away from it is listening to my body more. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants a plan in pro ball. Um, and, oh, I need to do this today. I need to lift legs today. I need to do arms today. I need to do this amount of arm care, this amount of arm care. And more so lately over the past, it probably hit me around the nine or 10 month mark when I started having a few setbacks, which I had got on the mound and started trying to put effort onto the ball. But uh, I started realizing I got to listen to my body more, my arm more specifically, and not just cookie cut a plan. Yeah. Um, and again, not saying, you know, it might work for some people, but um, I know my body more than anybody, just like you as a person, you know, your body more than anyone too, you know? So, um, and just recognizing, Hey, I'm tender here. Don't keep aggravating it, you know, let it rest, let it relax. Uh, because I was always the kid that all through college, I would lift every day I could. When I ran, I would run every day I could uh, do arm care. I do all the arm care I could and do more than I needed probably. Um, and so the moderation piece has been big and then the nutrition piece. So, so full, full round circle of understanding like, Hey, you got to be as close to healthy every aspect of it as you can, you know? So trying to stay away from like never going through a fast food place, you know, all through college, you you know, late at night, you pull through McDonald's or wherever Chick-fil-A, you know, now it's like, Hey, I'm a professional athlete and I had surgery. I got to put some quality stuff in me. Um, so those are just some little things that I have, uh, taken away from it. And I've certainly learned from because I definitely do not want this surgery again, but I am thankful that I'm able to throw again without pain. So, yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Cause I think the one thing that you really kind of touch on is you got a lot of people telling you things and like giving you information, but you find a way to balance and like find what works for you. Right. I think we interviewed right. Bryson Motts with the St. Louis Cardinals. He said the first piece of advice he got into Cardinals camp was like, listen to everybody, take it all in, but find out what works and what doesn't work for you. Cause we're all each individual human beings, right? Some things exactly. are going to work for one guy. They might not work for the other guy. Exactly. Like the penicillin thing. Yeah. Uh, penicillin might save somebody's life, might kill the next one. It might do nothing to the other guy. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That's awesome. It's cool to see that you're on this recovery process. Um, so as you kind of push forward, have been pushing forward through it, um, who has been like some of the biggest help you've had during the recovery process? I know you've had guys like Cole Wilcox who have gone through some of the similar things. We've interviewed him before and he's talked about that. But has there been like uh, certain guys around you that have really kind of helped support you, whether it's family, friends, things like that? Yeah. Uh, well, my family, they, my, my fiance, uh, she does a good job of keeping me level headed. Cause it's a mental, it's mental warfare yeah. really. When, when you show up to the field every day and you can't go out there and you wish you could and, you know, and you do it for months at a time with one goal just to get healthy. Uh, it's hard. And my family, they do a great job too. Uh, both of them, they, they try to keep me to where I'm not, don't have too much downtime, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm doing something don't have much time to think but yeah cole wilcox i've called him numerous times and gotten uh you know hey man this is going on i'm sure him along with others have been aggravated because i asked way too many questions but um something will pop up in my head and i'm not scared to ask it you know i'll be that i'll be that guy but yeah he's a he's an a plus teammate and human being when it comes to that kind of stuff i'm very thankful for him and along with the others you know i was uh i was around uh like drew rasmussen and, and spring mm-hmm. Other guys that's had it a few times, 
And I always try to like use it as like a buffet. Like this guy said this, I'm going to take that with me. This guy said this, I'm going to try, you know, and just trial and error. Like we were talking about earlier. Uh, and you know, I've messaged guys on Instagram and they've replied and, and what, you know, just, I don't want anything going through this process. I didn't want anything to be unheard of for me. Like I don't want to be getting out of it. And somebody said, well, you should have done this. This is why this is happening. You know? So I, I kind of, I felt like I approached it the best informative way that I could have, so to speak. Yeah, man, there's, there's, for me, there's too many, too many guys to name, to think, but, um, everybody's been so supportive, uh, and trying to help me and, and, and giving me their honest opinions and, and information on it, you know? Yeah. And I, I love that too, because you reached out to people, right. For help. And not meant, not everybody will do that. Like, Oh, I got this on my own. I can do this, but you're like, Hey, let me see what I can find, get the best information to make sure I have the best recovery process for myself. And I think that's awesome. Right. Um, so what are the next steps for you in the recovery process? Are you close to getting back out there and throwing? Uh, what, what's the next goal for you here? So I am at uh, live bullpens right now, or batting practices, I'm sorry. Uh, I was facing – I pitched in one game probably a month ago down here in the rookie complex, and I'd had something kind of irritated with my shoulder, mm. uh, just a little inflammation or whatever. And uh, I kind of took that as – a moment to just kind of relax a little bit, like take stress off of my shoulder, do more lower half, do more conditioning, do more stretching. Uh, but yeah, I'm at the, uh, I'm at the live BP stage. And then next week I'll face hitters and games down here. So it'd be a more realistic look. Um, and just me just trying to make it as game like every day and catch play is a hard thing to do. Cause, uh, there, there's three different stages to the Tommy John thing. I've kind of figured out first stage is, uh, healing once you heal and then the next stage is is uh strengthening the arm and then after that you can tell yourself you're fine you're healthy you know don't throw and labor and so uh catch play i would try to throw and and, and ask oh how's my arm feel every day and i kind of went on the spectrum too much of worrying about how my arm felt so i feel like i've kind of got over that mental hump of saying i'm fine throw it if i feel a little something it's going to work itself out. If it doesn't, then I'll take a step back, you know, but just giving it a chance um, and work on my stuff, work on my slider, work on my splitter, throw more strikes, work on my kicks, you know. So, uh, and now, right now, my biggest thing is, is when I get in games next week, I'm going to work on the pitch clock because mm-hmm. that's going to be a little adjustment I've never thrown on a pitch clock. So, um, I don't want it to be a shock when I go to an affiliate and I'm throwing – you know, and it's – I don't even know the time. That's, that's how crazy – I think it's 15 seconds, 14 yeah, seconds. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so uh, whatever it may be, I'm going to try to get acclimated to it while I'm down here, and it's a lower lower stress situation than, let's say, if I was in AAA or wherever, you know. So that's just kind of been what's on my on my mind lately. I'm, I'm healing really good. My shoulder feels great. Um, so taking a step back and, and, and relaxing some was, was the secret recipe for me in this little setback. Yeah, I got to imagine the mental part is probably the hardest to get over, right? Because you, you go out on the mound and you're probably like, oh, if I do the X, Y, or Z, it's going to tweak something again. And next thing you know, you're back being injured. So I have to imagine like that mental hurdle is probably one of the hardest ones to get over. Right. Well, and that was the thing, too. And this is going to sound dumb. And I'm sure some athletes go through this, too, uh, specifically pitchers. But I never thought about getting hurt. Yeah. Like, for years, it never crossed my mind, like, and this is going to sound crazy. I honestly thought I couldn't get hurt. You know, I was just so oblivious to the fact that, Hey, this thing can go. You hear people say it's not about if, but when I didn't believe that, 
you know, and I don't know if everybody's going to have Tommy John. There's going to be guys that probably pitch 15 years in the big leagues and won't have it, you know. But uh, I'm more aware now that, hey, when I'm sore, it's not best to cowboy up with my arm soreness and just keep throwing because yeah. that that ends up in surgery. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy how, how much the, the mind changes, you know, over the course of a few years. Yeah. Uh, so as you kind of approach to the getting back onto the mound, what was that moment like when you first stepped on a bullpen mound and you got to throw a baseball, like you just went through all this adversary powered through the entire injury recovery process. Kind of take us into that moment. Um, so I was playing catch for, I guess around four months or so before I got on the mound and I remember when I first started playing catch, uh, Joel Smith, he, he's with the big league club now, but he was my minor league uh, rehab um, athletic trainer. I'm, I'm probably botched that title, but he's done a bunch of Tommy Johns, and he knows what he's talking about. Um, and I remember him telling me, because I had ports, they drilled little ports in my uh, in my bone to thread the UCL through. And I remember him telling me, he was like, man, you need to really be conservative at the beginning stages of the throwing program, not to just gas them up, throw hard yeah. every or whatever, you know, just gradually build a workload. And so my first couple times off the mound, I didn't go on there, go on the mound thinking, okay, this is game seven of the World Series. I'm facing a really good hitter. I kind of made sure I didn't have an adrenaline adrenaline rush, even though, you know, when you step back on the rubber, it's like, man, this is where I belong, you know. Um, and the heart will start beating a little bit. But I, I really try to tone my effort down because I, I wanted it to be a gradual ramp up. And I think I've done a really good job of that. Um, and then – you know, you hear people talk about setbacks in the Tommy John process. Uh, until you start putting effort on the throws, at least for me, like I don't know that there's anybody that's going to start putting effort on the throw and uh, and and it not something not go to barking, you know. Yeah. So when I did get on the mound, it was a surreal moment. I teared up a little bit. I was actually at home on my high school mound, the first first pitch I threw off of the mound, uh, which was, which was kind of crazy, but – yeah, it's it's been a emotional little thing, but uh, very very exciting for me. Yeah, that's awesome, and it, yeah, we're all excited to see you back out competing, going out to the affiliate levels, and really going out there and getting after it. Um, so I kind of diving into a little bit more of the the fun related questions. So you've been at uh, single A, double A, triple A, kind of worked your way up all the way through the minors. Uh, What's like some of the the weirdest or coolest stories you have from uh, your time really hitting every affiliate in those uh, different random towns? Oh, man, I, I the thing I go to thinking about is, you know, I was I came out of spring training and I threw very well in twenty one spring training, um, and then I, I I remember breaking camp in low A and I was I was upset really. I mean. Because I thought I had done more than some guys that had skipped low A, um, and I know that's a bad way to look at it. You shouldn't compare, shouldn't question, or whatever. But I did, and I was sitting there, and I was like, "Man, I don't know what I what else I need to do. Like, why am I down here? I didn't allow a. I don't even think I allowed a hit in spring training. Uh, through like eleven innings, struck out two an inning. Uh, so I mean, I threw very well. And then I remember I hit a point to where I was like, "Okay, if I ever get my shot at high A." I just got to dominate, you know, I was, I was aggravated and it motivated me. Uh, but for me, a cool thing was is just seeing the different hitters at each level. Um, and I guess what they were doing with me in low A was wanting me to mix in breaking balls more, which I kind of refused to do so because they were making contact with my slider and they weren't touching my fastball. So I was like, why would I throw them a cookie? But it was more of a development thing. And that's how it had been for years. But 
it was just crazy how the approaches would change as a whole as I went up. Like, high A, they were trying to ambush fastballs. If you threw yeah. a fastball early in the count, they were going to swing. And more than likely, they were going to hit it. So I had to start mixing in some sliders, OO, and uh, doing more of a, a cat and mouse game, so to speak. And then double, double A was basically the same, felt like the same league of hitters, so to speak. And then I remember triple A, I hit a moment to where I, we were reading through scouting reports and all that. And I was trying to do something a little bit different than what I was, throwing more breaking balls, throwing more, uh, you know, other stuff. And I, I got to realizing, like, I'm a fastball pitcher. I yeah. talked with a pitching coach there who was Rick Knapp at the time. He was like, man, you, you got a good fastball. Don't just bail out on it. Don't cower to anybody. You go in there and tackle them. And uh, started. I remember I had an outing there after – I had a rough one where I allowed a run off of a double, oppo, oppo ball off the wall there. And uh, the next outing, uh, I, between outings, I talked to Coach Knapp, and he was like, you throwing a bunch of sliders. Why are you throwing a bunch of sliders? The guys can't hit your fastball. So I think I threw like 11 pitches in that inning and struck out two, and they were all fastballs. And I was like, man, this is the same hitters I faced two nights ago. Like, different result because I'm just pitching. Yeah. And that in that moment there, I mean, I don't know how wow it is to, to other people, but for it to happen to me and, and me think, okay, I got to do something different than what I've done, it just kind of gave me a peace of mind that my stuff is good, you know. Yeah. Uh, and not trying to say that as like, you know, everybody says, oh, my stuff is – but just self-assuring, you know, not really as a as a boastful kind of way or whatever, but just let me know that I belong, you know. So um, when you start at, at a low level and then you work your way up, you kind of question when is it going to end? When is somebody just going to really get on me? And um, – which I only threw like nine innings there, but the nine I threw, I think I only allowed a run in like two of that appearances. So – I kind of settled in a little bit, and and now working back from Tommy John, that's what I'm trying to get back to is what made me good before, and then how do I how do I stay consistent? Because that's the big thing is consistency. So, um, just seeing the difference in hitters was a really cool thing to me because there is, you know, you hear yeah. cliches like, oh, the SEC is double A or whatever. You know, I don't know that you can compare that, but as far as each level, the the hitters have different approaches and how they execute. Yeah, I mean. It- I, I will say SEC is probably the best baseball definitely in the U.S. just because I I worked at the University of Nevada in baseball ops and we went to Arkansas to play Arkansas and it was just like night and day between Nevada and Arkansas. I think they lost, it was like a rain game. Somehow Arkansas pouring rain still almost packed out the entire stadium for a rain game on like a Tuesday. It was insane. And the SEC is just like a whole different breed. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'd diving into the last couple of questions. Uh, we always have one fun one and then kind of end on a more serious one. Um, so what's been the go-to restaurant or type of food that you've been going to during the rehab recovery process? So early on, I didn't eat as healthy as I should have. Uh, <laughs> I realized that. But here lately, man, so I went, I can't remember where I was at, but I was in, in rehab and I went to my first Brazilian steakhouse. Mm. Um and man, I this was, man, I guess this was probably six months or so ago. I'm a big meat guy, yeah. um, so I bet I've went to at least a dozen since then. In six months, I probably went to a dozen Brazilian steakhouses in uh, Texas Day Brazil. Any kind of there, there was one in uh, where were we at? Orlando. It was called BR Seven Seven. The real deal, man. I mean, I, I probably gained four or five pounds, and they're eating just straight meat. You know, you, you can't really uh. You can't go in there and, and take up on the vegetables too bad. You gotta you gotta get the. I mean, 
it's unreal, which I'm a big, big steak guy, uh, but it, it's delicious. Any, any of those you go to or for me, it's a, it's a fun time. Yeah. You get a good steak and it's just like night and day for going to like, going to like Outback Steakhouse and then you actually go to a real place. It's like right. oh, so yeah. much better. And, it, and, and as a kid, if you, if I ate a steak as a kid, every one of them were good, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. I, I hear my parents talking about it or my grandparents talking about, Oh, they got a good steak or whatever. Now, as I'm older, I understand what they're because I've ate, I guess I've ate enough different varieties. Of stuff. But yeah, man, if I see a Brazilian steakhouse for the most part, I'm pulling in there if I have time or money and I'm eating. You know, I love I'm, it. I'm t- him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, kind of rolling into the last question. This is the one we kind of end with with uh, every interview just because we want the podcast to be an interesting thing for fans, but we also want it to be like opportunity for like younger guys to learn from uh, other players. So if you had like one piece of advice for, any guy who's going through some of the same adversity you had to go through the injury recovery process, uh, what would that one piece of advice be? Oh, uh, first thing, never doubt uh, your ability to adapt to situations. Because as a baseball player, if, if if you play this game very long or do it at, a, at any level pretty high, the, the whole reason you were able to do that is because you, you were able to make adjustments quick, you were able to adapt quick. And the Rays talk about that all the time. But also growing up, my dad would talk about being able to make adjustments. He would use the word adjustments, but I think all those kind of link together. So, uh, you know, and just trusting yourself and your ability and just knowing like, okay, I'm in this situation and it's different than anything I've ever done. Or maybe you've went through surgery a few times, but just knowing that, uh, that you can trust yourself to figure out what, what to help you get healthy quicker and, uh, and just never doubt a lot of times when you're when you're in the dog days, so to speak, in recovery, you doubt things like, "Man, am I ever going to get healthy? Am I ever going to be yeah. what I was before?" Um, but when you have that that ability to adapt and figure things out and troubleshoot things, um, I feel like you always get back to where you were. Um, and I, obviously, that's still th- that's what I'm working on right now is still trusting trusting the process and loving the process, you know. And it's a hard yeah. thing to do. People they trust the process much more than working hard, you know. So. That, that's yeah, just I think, kind of. I was gonna say, I think that goes back to too when you talked about when you're on the mound and going from level to level, just trusting in your stuff and the stuff that you got. Because like, if you don't go out on the mound with confidence in the things that you got or the process that you're taking, like that guy's already beating you in the batter's box. <laughs> right. You're competing against yourself and him. Yeah, and your brain's a lot stronger than whoever's uh, standing up there trying to hit off of you. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I think it's a great way to end the interview. Uh, Colby, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Uh, We're wishing you nothing but the best. I can't wait to see you back on the mound out there uh, dicing people up again. Thank you, man. I I sure appreciate uh, you getting, getting me on.